I think everybody talks about person-centered care, and that's awesome. But we go further, and we say it's relationship-rich, person-directed living. Mm. So think about the differences. Silver Adventures is a content and technology company dedicated to improving the lives of older adults through immersive virtual reality experiences. And this podcast is our opportunity to hear from industry experts, thought leaders, and passionate individuals to share with you their knowledge, expertise, and experiences. Welcome to the Aged Care Enrichment Podcast. I'm your host, Ash Deneef, and today we're talking to Susan Ryan. Susan is the Senior Director of an American not-for-profit called The Greenhouse Project, which proposes an alternative model to traditional care facilities, one that looks and feels like a real home. I got to talk to Susan about the ideas and principles that underpin this model and what it looks like in a practical sense to operate care facilities that only accommodate a handful of people. I found it to be a really interesting conversation as it made me reimagine the way that care could look and feel if we challenge some of the current core assumptions. So here is our episode with Susan Ryan. Hey guys, it's me again. Just a quick note to say we'd love to know more about you, our listeners. And we've got a super quick survey on our website that we'd love for you to fill out if you've got time. It's super short and you can find it at silveradventures.com.au slash survey. That's S-I-L-V-R adventures.com.au slash survey. Anyway, enjoy the episode. Great. Well, Susan, thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. I'm so pleased to be with you. Thanks so much for having me. Well, it's a pleasure for us as well. Can we start with a bit about yourself and, and what it is that you're doing at the moment? Sure. Well, myself happens to be a nurse. I approach everything I do through the the lens of a nurse that has spent the bulk of her career in long-term care, home care, as well as uh, those skilled nursing home environments. And honestly, I had my call to action moment as a director of nursing in a nursing home in which I really just, um, well, it was at a time when we tied people up to keep them safe, Mm. to keep them from falling. And while that was considered best practice in my heart, I just thought there's no way that this can be right. And so I embarked on a career in home care, and it was actually a grant-funded program to prevent institutionalization of the elderly. And I really resonated with that thought. I that I needed to keep people out of those dreadful places and really try to create systems and structures, education and screening to be able to keep people living better lives in their own homes. So that lasted for a good while. But finally, in 2001, I went back into long-term care with a real desire and a passion to reform And here's why, as lovely as home care is, and I still believe it's lovely, it can be cost prohibitive and socially isolating. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it just, I thought we've got to have those respectable, humane environments in which people can live good lives, albeit in a nursing home, but 
they should still be able to live a dignified and humane experience and have their quality of life met in a nursing home. So I went back and started working with an organization, heard about the greenhouse model in 2005, went to visit. And for me, it was my two worlds coming together beautifully. I thought, well, that's home care. It's, it's a real home. And it's licensed as skilled nursing. And for me, it was the best of my worlds coming together. So in 2008, I joined the Greenhouse Project team, and I have been a part of a mission that is out to eradicate institutional models and to really create those humane experiences that I was looking for. Fantastic. And there's a lot of really great words that I want to tap into here. So can we start with respectful and humane? And what are the elements of traditional aged care, residential care that you find that are not disrespectful or inhumane? You know, any time that you have a group of people that is other or a group of people that you just, you know, kind of look at their needs are different from our basic human needs. Mm. Whenever we have a tendency to warehouse, to put everybody in one place and treat them all similarly, as if they're not individuals with unique needs. Whenever we just kind of approach care as tasks, and not see the person in the task, that to me, that's not dignified and that's not humane Mm. because each of us, you are an individual. I'm an individual. Uh, We're living in very different places, different cultures. There are so many things that are unique and different about us. And as we approach an older age and should we be in a community, um, long-term care community. I want to be known as that individual and to not just be known by what I need from a care approach, but what I need as a person, as an individual to live life and not be just defined by my diagnosis or what my care needs would dictate. Yeah, fantastic. So, you mentioned earlier this word of institutionalized care and trying to move away from that how are you defining institutionalized care? When you think about an institution, I don't think there's anything that would make you or I want to live in an institution. Yet in the the U.S., I can tell you that most nursing homes have been modeled after hospitals. Hmm. Hospitals are great institutions. And we have brought that philosophy into our care approaches in long-term care in nursing homes. And that's an institutionalized approach. You know, there are very rigid schedules and protocols. Um, Hospitals weren't created as places to live. They were created as places to, when you're sick, you go there to be, to get better. And that's not what we want for nursing homes, places that, you know, we are going to come to live at the end of our life. And so I think it's really deinstitutionalizing that approach that says it's all about what you need by virtue of your diagnosis and where, what are all the medications you need? What are all the treatments you need? And how do I get you here, there, and everywhere to therapy or whatever that might be? And it's a very routinized, task focused approach. And to me, that's part of an institutional frame that we bring to what we do each day. 
Some of our listeners will be aware of the greenhouse model and the greenhouse project, but can you outline for us what is the alternative that's being presented here? It's, you know, we've talked a lot about the deinstitutionalization, and I would say that starts first in our minds. We have to deinstitutionalize our thinking Mm -hmm. and recognize that we've got incredible, and I will speak for myself as a nurse, I brought a lot of institutional knowledge. As a nurse, I was schooled to really know how to be as efficient and effective as possible, making decisions that worked well for me and my clinical team and the CNAs and certified nursing assistants and so forth. So it's, you know, really rethinking and deinstitutionalizing that thinking. But let me describe for you what the greenhouse model is. And I'm going to use our core values as the lens by which to take a look at the greenhouse model. I've talked a lot about the philosophical piece, but let me go back to the piece that I think is probably what most people focus on. It's the part that's most obvious, and that core value is real home, and that is the physical environment that would be deinstitutionalized. And I'll just uh, take you visually, audio-wise, into a visit to a greenhouse home. In a greenhouse home, you would look on the outside and you would see a real home, a single family home, and you would ring the doorbell. You're not going to barge in because it's a real home, and I would not barge into your home without ringing the doorbell first. I wouldn't barge into any one of my neighbor's homes without ringing the doorbell first. So, it's the physical environment. It cues you that's a real home. I ring the doorbell. I walk in. It's an open concept, 10 or 12 private rooms with ensuite showers in their private rooms. Mm -hmm. So we have decentralized the bathing process. So every room, private room, has their own private roll-in shower. That's dignified. That's humane, I would say. Mm -hmm. But the open concept that you will see Uh, We call it the hearth or the heart of the home, and that's where intentional community can happen. So think about your own home and what's there to really draw people together. You're going to have an open kitchen. You're going to have a living room and dining room. And that just really, to me, is emblematic of what a real home would be or do. I don't know about you, but uh, the heart of the home is kind of if you're having any entertaining whatsoever, where do people gather? The kitchen. Mm -hmm. And so you've got the kitchen, that open concept kitchen where aromas would be filling the house. And if I'm living there as a resident, then the the smell of bacon cooking in the morning, I might be inclined to want to get out of my bed and come on my own terms to one long dining table that's in our dining room and is it's a family table it's not four tops scattered here and there but it really is saying how did we take our meals my meals with my family my children were gathered around one table um, it's not that some were sitting here and some were sitting here. We we ate all together at one table. And that's what staff and the residents living in a greenhouse home would do. 10 or 12 people living there supported by a team. Um, and then the living room, we've got a fireplace. And that just kind of, for me, I, I with my kids, I love sitting around the fireplace and especially at colder times. 
And we would just uh, really have those moments of socialization. Uh, there's typically a den, another kind of private space where oh, family members might want to come if they're not wanting to meet with them in the more common areas. A, a den is kind of a little, a little more private, or they could meet in their own uh, bedroom. Mm-hmm. The other thing is an office. And unlike a nurse's station, the office is really designed to look like a home office, like you or I would have in our own homes. This is not an institution, and this does not look like nursing homes that I might conjure in my mind. Um, But it's more than that. It's the philosophical culture that you and I have been talking about uh, practically since we started. And that is, you know, the focus is more on who the person is and the whole person approach to deeply know who that person is. And I think everybody talks about person-centered care and that's awesome. But we go further and we say it's relationship-rich, person-directed living. Mm. So think about the differences. We are saying that through deep knowing relationships, relationships are at the core of being able to for a person to direct his or her living experiences. So it's not just care that's centered on the person, but it's through relationships and knowing who each individual is, how we can enable that person to to direct his or her life so they have those experiences. And last but not least, and I think this is the, the core value that often gets overlooked, and that is we call it empowered staff, and to really address the workforce And what do we mean by empowered staff? I would say empowered staff is a function of leadership, that you can't have staff empowerment without leaders who know how to offer the support, the education, everything necessary to equip that staff to be fully empowered, to be in consistent or dedicated relationships with those in the home. And what I find is that when you've got consistent or dedicated teams working with the individuals in that home, there's real magic that happens. And when they've deinstitutionalized their thinking and destigmatized how they see people living in those homes, and they've got wise leaders that are equipping them to really be successful in how they operationalize it. There's real magic that happens. And then you see people that are able to live some really high-quality lives. Mm. Wow, there's so much great information there that I, I want to unpack. And starting with the, the idea of the universal worker, it's almost as if they're a member of the family in the greenhouse home. It's not just you know a, a myriad of different people coming in to do different things that's going to make it feel much more organic, right? I am so glad you brought that up, that it's like a family. And, you know, I can certainly relate as a mom who was caring for three children. And, oh, yeah, I was cooking. I was providing care. I was had a load of laundry in at the same time. And, you know, I could conceive of it. So I'm so grateful to have you say that because that's exactly right. And you just think about what you get to know. I 
knew what my kids liked to eat and what they didn't like to eat. And similarly, those, you know, it really supports. And the other thing that you mentioned that I really liked was they kind of serve like family. They become like family members. Hmm. And you're right. And that that dining table kind of just says we're family. We're coming around the table um, to have a meal together. And there's something really powerful and really beautiful about what happens there. And, you know, during the pandemic, I have heard a lot of people say, because we had um, a blanket ban on the uh, visitation, and what was really interesting to me was how it was really those deep knowing relationships, they became surrogate family members. And those relationships were so tight. And there were some days, it's not like they're replacing them, Mm. but they were able to, and with smartphones nowadays, a care partner might have noticed a resident who was feeling a bit tearful. She says, you know, I think we just need to do a FaceTime with your daughter. How would that be? Mm. And so via FaceTime, they were able to get the daughter on. If you have so many different people that are touching that person during the day that perhaps aren't the same dedicated uh, staffing that's coming in and out of that home, I don't know that that would have happened as lovely as it did. When somebody is in that dedicated relationship, you know, they really do um, function as family members. You're listening to the Age Care Enrichment Podcast brought to you by Silver Adventures. And we want to thank all of our listeners and subscribers, especially those people who've shared this podcast with a friend or colleague. Because of you, we've just entered the top 50 mental health podcasts on Apple Podcasts, and we're one of the fastest growing health podcasts in Australia. We're looking to take the Age Care Enrichment Podcast to the next level by partnering with great organizations to showcase their message with our rapidly growing audience of aged care executives and people working within the industry. If you'd like to discuss what an advertising opportunity with our podcast can mean for your business, send us an email. We're at acepodcast at silveradventures.com.au. That's S-I-L-V-R adventures. Remember, there's no E in there. Now let's get back to this week's guest. There's something else I want to really highlight that you mentioned before when you were talking about relationship-rich, personalized living, this idea that care may be one aspect of somebody's life and and maybe one aspect of what's happening for someone in a day-to-day situation, but it is not everything. And to define it as such is problematic. And it's leading back to that institutionalized model that you mentioned. Absolutely. And that's, you know, as I said, deinstitutionalize our thinking. When I think about the different mindsets that we bring to the table and what that looks like, and I think that's that's part of it. You know, what is what is meaningful and purposeful living to each person? Mm-hmm. And yes, there are care needs that need to be thought about and addressed, but I think more importantly, it really is about what makes a meaningful day for a person? And once again, it's not a one-size-fits-all. And that's why it's so important to have those relationships to really tap into who that person is. And as a person who might be living with some cognitive impairment, and they may not, it may be more challenging to understand 
who that person is and what will make for a meaningful day. Meaningful life is the name of that core value that we have. Mm-hmm. And our that means our focus is really helping that person to engage each day in a meaningful and purposeful way. We want uh, philosophically that culture, everything that is done to really speak a meaningful life. And so it, that happens through relationships and you know, we believe pets can be a big part of it. We believe gardening can be a big part of it. It may be cooking. Oh, I had some wonderful stories that emerged during the pandemic where they were able to, with appropriate PPE and, and safety precautions, really, it was a, a woman who was who's living with some dementia, and she was just feeling a bit frustrated in that life wasn't quite the way it was. But the deep knowing told this care partner that this was somebody who was a homemaker, who loved to bake, who took great pride in what she did. So what did they do? They bake a cake. And they made a cake that was able to be served to everybody. And uh, you think about how that impacted that, that woman's day to be doing something that was so familiar and so visually reinforcing to her identity. Uh-huh. And there was something in that procedural memory bank that she she knew what she was doing. And so that became meaningful life and purposeful living for her. Yeah, that's great. I guess I have some questions regarding in the case of people who might have declining cognitive abilities who are living in a greenhouse home. And something we've talked about a lot on the podcast is deception and how that can factor into many different aged care settings. How do you think, because the setup of of a greenhouse home is to replicate a home and it's not immediately clear that it is a care environment, do you think there is a level of deception here? And, And if there is, is that a problem? You know, that's, I think, a great question. And none of us want to be deceived or be deceptive in our approaches. I think home is just, it's, where we all want to be. And while it is not that person's, I'll call it native home, I do believe that what's created there, it becomes home, it becomes centering, it becomes, and we do a lot in in our education to really think about how do we really create home and what does home really mean to us? And how do we establish that sense of belonging and that ability to feel connected, because that supports our well-being. So it's not deceiving, in my opinion. I think, you know, what it really is doing is tapping into that person's identity, that person's need to connect, that sense of belonging that is so important to all of us as human beings, and to really determine how do we make that happen for a person who might be confused in in terms of whereabouts and where am I? And I have this need to go home and they're in their greenhouse home. So what is that person really trying to say? How is that person's sense of belonging or connectedness at the moment being compromised? And what might we need to do? As I mentioned, the care partner who pulled up her phone and said, you need to talk to your daughter. Hmm. And for her, that worked, you know, but what else might it be? And what 
can we know through those deep knowing relationships that might give us an indication that would help us understand how we can still support her well-being and her need to connect in that sense of belonging? Yeah, it's, it's always a, a tricky one when you're providing a safe space and you're providing a place that people want to go to. And, you know, in the situation which I mentioned, if somebody isn't always aware of the fact that this is not their native home, to use your words, but they're comfortable and they're happy and they're, they're living fulfilled, enriching lives, why would you orient anybody to, to the change in circumstance for them? You know, it's interesting. Way back, I'm old enough to know <laughs> or have been a nurse when reality orientation mm. was what we used to do. And we had these signs all over the place that told you what day it was and what the weather was, what the next holiday was. And whenever somebody just said, I I need to go home. No, no, honey, you're, this is your home. And of course, it's an institution. Hmm. And, you know, what that did to just create such anxiety and stress, but to, you know, not shy away from having conversations and to be fully present in the moment. And I think, you know, not for the podcast today, there wouldn't be enough time for me mm -hmm. to go through kind of our approaches, but we have a memory care approach we call it the best life approach. And it really is designed to around four principles that build upon those core values I talked about. And it really is designed to be able to help that person. We call it meaningful life and with best life, it's a, a best life approach. And I would say the other thing about what I would say about best life, I'll just give you the principles very quickly. Mm -hmm. It's about the power of normal and really making sure that we normalize our programs and our environments and all of our interactions to really create age appropriateness in those interactions. And the more there's a power in normalcy and really seeking to achieve uh, normal reactions. And I think, you know, we have this propensity to keep people safe at all costs. That's why back in the day, I tied people up to keep them from falling. God forbid they would fall on my shift, or God forbid they would leave the building. We call that an elopement. And mm. so we did everything we, we could to control them. Well, what is that behavior trying to tell me? And how do we really again, seek to know the person and not shy away from the risk to recognize risk has an upside and a downside. And how can we really seek to, first of all, understand and shift our mindset to say that there's actually a dignity in risk taking hmm. and that I'm afforded, if I, if I were to fall, no one's going to strap me to a chair and saying, well, no, no more of that for you. And so similarly, I'm not advocating for everybody, just whatever, but to really acknowledge though that there is a dignity in risk taking. I just have to tell you a real quick story. One of our greenhouse communities, they wanted to, well, let me say this, the care partner's dog had a litter of pups and they were adorable puppies. And so she was bringing a puppy in for the residents to see and they fell in love with this puppy and they decided they wanted to adopt it. Well, between you and me, I wouldn't recommend a puppy as probably the best way to introduce a pet to a community, but 
they decided that's what they would do. And so they brought the puppy, and what joy. And mm. I can't even begin to tell you the quality of life experiences that were generated from that puppy. But here's what happened. The puppy got a little bit exuberant and determined that they, the puppy wanted to kind of jump mm. on a, a couple of the elders. Well, one of those elders had developed some skin tears as a result of the dog's nails mm. kind of getting at her arm. Family member had a fit, said, that dog's got to go. And the administrator said, that dog's got to go. We can't have this. That's safety. Mm -hmm. And where did the pendulum swing? It was to safety. Well, the residents were up in arms. They said, no, <laughs> you can't take the dog. That's my pet. And that brings me such joy. You can't take that dog away. And so they really, they involved the vet. They involved a lot of conversations with stakeholders. And the vet did this really interesting thing with the the nails of the dog. And it was kind of like giving um, a manicure where it's like um, <laughs> where they had gel manicure so that the nails weren't so sharp. And they really worked, um, you know, there was behavior school for the dog and that sort of thing. They kept the dog. I can't tell you what joy that dog brought during the pandemic mm. when there was lockdown and that sense of purpose and being able to give the dog the treats and what they did each day from a routine. So dignity of risk. Before we swing the pendulum and say the dog's got to go, let's really rethink what can we do to make it a safe experience. We're, we're running out of time, Susan, but before we go, I really want to talk about your podcast, the Elevate Elder Care podcast. What are some of the, the stories and, and insights you guys have had on that show? You know, I think there's probably the big takeaway is that the system is broken mm. and that we can't just tweak a broken system. I think too often we have tried to play around the edges or we'll do a little of this or a little of that. I think... What I hear from those that I've been able to talk to is that we need a radical transformation. We need to build upon what has worked well during the pandemic, and it's time to reimagine, to reinvent, and to do something that is radically, comprehensively different. I have also learned that it's important to talk to different stakeholders. I'm not just talking to providers, but I'm, I'm talking to policymakers. I'm talking to those that represent the consumer voice. And it, it's important that we really hear from everybody because I see it from a certain perspective. A policymaker will see it from a certain perspective. A consumer sees it from a different perspective. Mm. And so it really is going to take those multi-stakeholders to form a coalition to say enough already. It is time that we really elevate elder care, which is why we, we chose the name, because it really is trying to, to figure out what we need to do. And we have to get to the system and we have to, in what underlies the broken system, ageism hmm. and the devaluation of elders and saying, well, they won't notice or they've lived a good life. So it's okay that we shove them into a semi-private room or God forbid, a three or four person room. Hmm. Um, that's ageism. And that is devaluation at its core. And I think that is what has allowed the underfunding for our system and payer and I think it's time for us to put our money where our mouth is 
and to really do what we can to address the the root cause, and that is ageism, devaluation, which then has created a broken system. Yeah, and although you're speaking about the American system there predominantly, that's that's really hitting the mark with the Australian system and industry as well at the moment. So people can find out more about the Elevate Elder Care podcast on, I'm guessing, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, yes, everywhere normal? Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, where that's where we are. And just a real quick footnote, it's hmm. uh, interesting. The Royal Commission on Aged Care made a visit to one of our greenhouse communities um, last January. Mm-hmm. And uh, I actually met them in Boston at uh, a greenhouse community there as they were on their quest to go global Mm -hmm. and uh, to see, you know, what was working well. So I was really honored to be able to uh, speak with a couple from the commission and to show them the greenhouse model. That's great. Are there any greenhouse homes in Australia at the moment? Not yet, but it's really interesting. I have had several conversations with people. There were a few people that made um, the pilgrimage to attend a greenhouse workshop obviously pre-pandemic, and we were able to talk to them about their dream to bring the greenhouse concept into Australia. Mm, Fantastic. Well, Susan, thank you so much for your time today. This has been really interesting, and we've covered a lot of different ideas and and how the Greenhouse Project is tackling them, but uh, also some deeper philosophical ideas of how they all work together. Well, you've been so much fun to talk to. You made it very easy, so thanks for having me. My pleasure. Thanks a lot. You're very welcome. Well, we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Age Care Enrichment Podcast, brought to you by Silver Adventures. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. And if you're enjoying it, please leave us a review. We'd really appreciate it. If you're interested in finding out how immersive virtual reality experiences can enrich the lives of older adults, visit the Silver Adventures website today at www.silver.adventures.com.au. See you next week.